Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is to see everyone attend church and hear from God daily through His Word. The Bible reveals God's responses to various situations, and through daily devotions, we can reshape our thought patterns, transform our minds, and become more Christ-like. Join us here every Monday through Friday as different pastors and leaders from Fusion Church provide insightful devotions and teachings based on the day's scripture. For the current SOAP reading plan, visit fusionchurch.cc soap and join us as we deepen our understanding and relationship with God. Happy Monday. Happy uh, January 22nd. We're digging into God's word to start this, uh, this final week of our Daniel fast together. And we're opening up into Daniel 11. So we're praying. We'll dig into God's word. We have a lot to get into today. So let's jump in. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord God, for another day. Another day we get to um, have your word in our lives, God. Thank you for your word and the wisdom and the love and the grace and the protection we can we can glean from your word. I pray right now, just open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes and ears to what you have for each one of us this morning, God. God you have words of, of peace. You have words of protection. You have words of healing. You have words of comfort. God, it's all there in your word. But help us as, as humans, as your children, God, to receive it this morning. Help us to to see your word and to hear your word, not from our own perspectives, but, but from your perspective, Father, as, our, as the Holy Spirit guides us. I pray I and the rest of us would each decrease so you could increase in our lives and in, in this time together. In Jesus' name we pray and we thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. So like we said, we're digging into God's word in Daniel 11. So um, previously on Soap, dun, 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 uh, we were talking about on Friday, Daniel 10, uh, how Daniel has been in service at this point now to three different kings over his time as one of the top-ranking leaders in Babylon captivity. All right, remember him and his friends and some other men from uh, Israel were taken from Jerusalem and brought to Babylon. And he's been, he's been serving under different kings. Every time he serves under a different king, he gets elevated because God's speaking to him. He's praying, he's fasting, he's being obedient, he's being steadfast in his faith. And God's honoring that by giving him um, visions and giving him prophetic wisdom and things to, to help his people Israel. And so as we come into this chapter today, um, Daniel's coming out of a three-week three week period of fasting in Daniel 10, the last chapter from Friday. Um, and as he's fasting, he's he's coming out of this, this um, mourning and what is going through with, with Israel. And he's visited by an, an angel. And this angel gives him a vision of the future events that are going to befall the Israelites and Jerusalem. So that's where we're starting off for, um, for today. Um, verse 1 is actually the angel speaking to Daniel. And then we're going to jump into um, more of the vision and more of what the angel is speaking to Daniel. So chapter 11, verse 1. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. So the angel speaking, remember. Verse 2. Uh, I'm reading out the New International Version today. And this portion is entitled, The Kings of the South and the North. Verse 2. Now then, I tell you the truth. Three more kings will arise in Persia, and then a fourth will be far richer than all the others. When he has gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king will arise, who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. 
After he has arisen, his empire will be broken up and parceled out toward the four winds of heaven. It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised, because his empire will, will be uprooted and given to others. The king of the south will become strong, but one of his commanders will become even stronger than he and will rule his own kingdom with great power. After some years, he will become allies. The daughter of the king of the south will go to the king of the north to make an alliance, but she will not retain her power, and he and his power will not last. In those days, she will be betrayed, together with her royal escort and her father, and the one who supported her. One from her family line will arise to take her place. He will attack the forces of the king of the north and enter his fortress. He will fight against them and be victorious. He will also seize their gods, their metal images, and their valuable articles of silver and gold and carry them off to Egypt. For some years, he will leave the king of the north alone. Then, the king of the north will invade the realm of the king of the south, but will retreat to his own country. His sons will prepare for war and assemble a great army, which will sweep on like an irresistible flood and carry the battle as far as his fortress. Then the king of the south will march out in a rage and fight against the king of the north, who will raise a large army, but it, it will be defeated. When the army is carried off, the king of the south will be filled with pride and will slaughter many thousands, yet he will not remain triumphant. For the king of the north will muster another army, larger than the first, and after several years he will advance with a huge army fully equipped. In those times, many will rise against the king of the south. Those who are violent among your own people will rebel in fulfillment of the vision, but without success. Then the king of the north will come and build up a siege ramps, ramps and will capture a fortified city. The forces of the south will be, will be powerless to resist. Even their best troops will not have the, have the strength to stand. The invader will do as he pleases. No one will be able to stand against him. He will establish himself in the, in the beautiful land and will have the power to destroy it. He will be determined to come with the might of his entire kingdom and will make an alliance with the king of the south. He will give him a daughter in marriage in order to overthrow the kingdom, but his plans will not succeed or help him. Then he will turn his attention to the coastlands and will take many of them. But a commander will put an end to his insolence and will turn his insolence back on him. After this, he will turn back toward the fortresses of his own country, but will stumble and fall, to be seen no more. His successor will send out a tax collector to maintain the royal splendor. In a few years, however, he will be destroyed, yet not in anger or in battle. He will be succeeded by a contemptible person who has not been given the honor of royalty. He will invade the kingdom when his people feel secure, and he will seize it through intrigue. Then an overwhelming army will be swept away before him. Both it and the Prince of the Covenant will be destroyed. After coming to an agreement with him, he will act deceitfully, and then only a few people with and with only a few people he will rise to power. When the richest provinces feel secure, he will invade them, and he will achieve what neither his fathers nor his forefathers did. He will distribute plunder, loot, and wealth among his people, his followers. He will plot to overthrow the fortresses, but only for a time. Verse 25. With a large army, he will stir up his strength and courage against the king of the south. The king of the south will, will wage war with a large and very powerful army, but he will not be able to stand because of the plots devised against him. 
Those who eat from the king's provisions will try to destroy him. His army will be swept away, and many will fall in battle. Two kings, with their hearts bent on evil, will sit at the same table and lie to each other, but to no avail, because an end will still come at the appointed time. The king of the north will return to his own country with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant. He will take action against it and then return to his own country. At the appointed time, he will invade the south again, but this time the outcome will be different from what it was before. Ships at the western coastlands will oppose him, and he will lose heart. Then he will turn back and vent his fury against the Holy Covenant. He will return and show favor to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up an abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Those who are wise will instruct many, <clears throat> though for a time they will fall by the sword or, by, or be burned or captured or plundered. <clears throat> when they fall, they will receive a little help. <coughs> and many who are not sincere will join them. Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. This next portion is entitled, The King Who Exalts Himself, verse 36. The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until a time of wrath is completed. What has been determined must take place. He will show no regard for the gods of his ancestors or for the one desired by women, nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above them all. Instead of them, he will honor a god of fortresses, a god unknown to his ancestors he will honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He will attack the mightiest fortresses with the help of a foreign god and will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. He will make them rulers over many people and will distribute the land at a price. Now, at the time of the end of the king of the south, will, will engage him in battle, and the king of the north will storm out against him with chariots and cavalry and a great fleet of ships. He will invade many countries and sweep through, sweep through them like a flood. He will also invade the beautiful land. Many countries will fall, but Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Ammon will be delivered from his hand. He will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape. He will gain control of the treasures of gold and silver and all the riches of Egypt, with the Libyans and Cushites in submission. But reports from the east and the north will alarm him. He will set out in a great rage to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful holy mountain. Yet he will come to his end, and no one will help him. Amen to God's word. All right, so, whew, a lot to get through, right? But this is one of those chapters where there's a lot to dig into, so we're going to uh, go through it. There's so much detail and so much nuance, so much we really get every bit of this we can, right? So, starting off here, um, back to the very beginning. It's so cool here because this chapter, um, if you do some studying, kind of dig a little deeper, this study, this chapter actually contains one of the most specifically fulfilled prophecies in the whole Bible. 
There's over 375 years of history in all this. And so we're going to go through in the piece by piece, basically a huge history lesson today of how this prophecy has been fulfilled. And it's actually so specific. There's at the, at critics and people who, who deny supernatural revelation think of that, that this is right after the fact because it's so accurate. They think, oh, there's no way this could have been predicted. There's no way Daniel knew this. It must have been happened after the fact and it was written about afterwards. But that's not true. You know how God's word, how God's word writes, how God's word works, right? How we have prophetic revelation. Um, and we're seeing how, you know, how God's word is so specific because God's true to his word. So we go through this again. Critics are going to say what critics want to say, but we know the truth. We can go back in historical context and go back and see the dates and times and, you know, how these these patches, passages were written out and see how accurate these things were written before they happened. Like we said, over almost 400 years of, of history before all this happened being predicted. So, verse 2. Here we go from the top. Um, so, talks about the kings rising in Persia right? And how they're going to come together and serve everyone against the kingdom of Greece, these these four kings throughout uh, this, this time period. And the Persian Empire actually tried to wipe out the Jewish people during the reign of King Xerxes, who we remember from Book of Esther. Him and his, his uh, buddy Haman tried to wipe out the Jewish people then. And so we're seeing he's actually one of those kings that came out of um, that this prophecy. And then we see again how the kingdom of Greece, the Greek empire, also, also tried to wipe out the Jewish people during the reign of Antioch IV, another one of these kings mentioned. Um, because he wanted, he wanted to kill all the Jews who were not going to renounce their commitment to God and who, wanted to, who didn't want to embrace the Greek faith, the Greek culture of all the many gods and a polytheistic society. And so Antioch IV was an, another king who came to try and kill the people. And we're seeing, though, how... During um, these kings' reigns, you know, these kings were rising to power through wealth, through military prominence, um, through influence, things like that. And yet they didn't rise through God. And since because they didn't rise through God, they didn't honor God in their kingdom, in their their um, kingship, in their leadership. They fell and God took everything away from them because whether or not they believe in God, whether or not they were um, Jewish people or whether or not they were Greeks or Persians or polytheistic society. God's still sovereign. God, our God, is the one true God, and he is still in control, no matter what gods they were worshiping. Amen? And so as you go through um, verse 3 and 4 then, it says, A mighty king will arise, who will rule with great power, and do as he pleases. This is another king, this is another ruler coming to power. And this prophecy portion was actually fulfilled by Alexander the Great, um, who died, I and mean, he was only 32 years old. It says it he will have his kingdom will be broken up and parceled out to the four winds of heaven. So what happened was um, after uh, he died, none of his none of, none of Alexander the Great's descendants succeeded him. Um, he had three possible heirs at his passing. He had a half brother who was not mentally, um, mentally able to, to lead. Uh, he had a son that was born after his death. So an infant who was an illegitimate son. And then he also had um, uh, another brother, possibly. And so what happened was uh, these heirs, these people all came together. And then they had the um, the kingdom was actually broken up. 
to his four generals that controlled the Greek Empire. So no one, none of his family members, were able to take over because these four Greek generals ends up taking over instead and murdering any of the possible heirs they had. They murdered his son, his brother, and wiped them out to make sure they had power. Uh, I love what it says, too, how in verse 4, um, it says that, specifically says his his uh, empire will be uprooted and given to others. And I saw the word uprooted reminded me of our series we're going through right now, right? Deeply rooted. How Pastor Brennan spoke yesterday from Jeremiah 17, verses uh, 7 and 8. Um, a little bit back further, remember, it reminds us that in verse 5 of Jeremiah 17, that curse is the one who trusts a man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. And that's what happened to, to King to Alexander, right? Alexander the Great was not turning towards God. He trusted instead in his flesh, in these, you know, these rulers, his principalities, this wealth he, he had amassed for himself. And what happened? He died. He's 32 years old, younger than most of us, you know, and he he died, and that was his kingdom. That was it, you know, and it was split between these four generals. And so not being rooted in God and ourselves, whether you're a great ruler or you're just a regular person like me, you know, being not being rooted in God leads to destruction, leads to death, leads to that division amongst, you know, financial resources, among your family, among your friends, among your, your job prospects, among, you know, whoever it is. So being rooted in God, deeply rooted in his word, is so, so crucial. Again, go back to Pastor Brennan's message yesterday, Jeremiah 17, but seven. But the one who is trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him, he is one that's blessed. He'll be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. That's what we need to see in our, our families, our homes, our communities, right? People who are planted and bearing good fruit by streams of refreshment by God's living water and his word. Amen. All right. Moving on down here. Verse five. The king of the south will become strong and one of his commanders will become even stronger than he and rule his kingdom with great power. So this part of the prophecy was fulfilled by Ptolemy I of Egypt, a pharaoh, a ruler of Egypt at the time. And he came over and exerted control over the Holy Land, over Jerusalem and God's people. And after um, Alexander the Great's empire was divided up. Ptolemy came in and dominated this region. And so Ptolemy I had a prince named Seleucus, who rose to power and took over that region of Syria. And he became more powerful. So he's in that, that um, time period, he became known as, in this prophecy, mentioned as the king of the north. And so you have Seleucus. Uh, says Seleucus as king of the north and Ptolemy as king of the south and so you're seeing these two different kingdoms the um, ruling and fighting for 130 years and whichever whichever kingdom was ruling and winning the, the war at the time they took over the holy land they took over Jerusalem so we're seeing how no matter who's in charge God's people are always facing something God's people are always being torn and divided because of these two outside kings from the north and the south. And then verse 6 talks about these um, two kingdoms, these two kings becoming allies. <clears throat> and this was fulfilled historically, prophetically, by the marriage between uh, Antiochus II, who was um, from the south, 
uh, of the Seleucids. And then Ber- uh, Berenice, who is daughter of Ptolemy II. So again, we're seeing generations deep in this rivalry finally coming together by these two, this marriage. Um, and it was actually it was a time of peace because of this marriage until Ptolemy II died. And when Ptolemy II died, Antioch, who was the king of the south, um, he put away Berenice and took back his former wife, who was married, again, you see, God's word, you know, one man, one woman for life. When that covenant's broken and not honored, there's destruction, there's, there's damage done. And so, because Antiochus II had two wives, he put away Berenice from Ptolemy, from the king of the north, um, during uh, this time. And because of it, he took back his, his wife, his first wife. But the first wife, you know, like a soap opera here, so the first wife didn't trust Antiochus II, so she had him poisoned. And then after he was murdered, she also had Berenice, um, her, Berenice's son, and her attendants all killed as well. So after all this happened, all this, you know, time of peace, we're back in division and destruction again. And so uh, Laodice, who was the, the wife, the first wife, put her own son, uh, Seleucus, Seleucus II, on the throne. And he ruled, ruled in the kingdom then. And then we're coming back down. <clears throat> um, verse 7 through 9. So one from her family line will rise to take her place. This is Berenice we're talking about now. One of Berenice's family will rise to take her place. And this was fulfilled by Ptolemy III, who was the brother of Berenice. And he actually came and avenged the murder of his sister by invading Syria and humbling uh, Seleucus II. And then during that time, um, he lived four more years and he took over that that kingdom. He took over that region again. So we're seeing still back and forth, back and forth with all this. Um, verse 10, his sons will prepare for a war and assemble a great army. And this was fulfilled by Seleucus III and Antiochus III, who were the two sons of Seleucus II. So see, we're seeing, you know, make your nose, get your little family tree going here, you know. Um, so Seleucus III and Antiochus III, the two sons, who were both successful generals. So they came into power and came into their um, army authority. Uh, but Seleucus, who was the older brother, ruled only a short time, and he was succeeded by his brother Antiochus III. And then in a huge battle that ensued, he, Antiochus III took back the Holy Land from the Ptolemies, from the, the kings of the north. So the kings of the south are back. And then uh, verse 11, when the king of the south will march out in a rage and fight against the king of the north, will fight, will raise a large army, but it will be defeated. And this all came together when Antiochus, the, Antiochus III was defeated at the a Battle of Raphia. And so because of that loss, he actually had to give back the Holy Land and all that land in that, that region back to Ptolemy, now the fourth. So we're four generations deep of this, three on this side. So we're seeing, again, these generational curses, generational feuds going on over God's holy land because of these outside worldly kings. Uh, verse 13 through 16, continuing on down. Um seeing more portion of scripture. The king of the north will muster another army, larger than the first, and he will advance with a huge army fully equipped. And this is fulfilled during Antiochus III's invasion of Egypt again. And this time he gained control again over the armies of Ptolemy V and over the Holy Land. 
So again, we're seeing one after another, after another, generationally deep, this battle goes. Um, It says, many shall rise up against the king of the south. At that time, the Jews who were living in the Holy Land helped Antiochus III defeat the king of the south because they resented the Egyptians. They resented the Ptolemy V and his whole line. And so at first, so they were they were glad to see him. The Jewish people were grateful to have Antiochus back having um, dominion over them. However, they, they thought that he was going to liberate them from their Egyptian rule. However, to actually turn to this um, destruction over the beautiful land, and he, so he, has, he has the power to establish himself and the power to destroy it. And so with that, they were getting themselves into a, a you know protection. They're seeking protection from from this king and actually came with, again to turn around and and hurt them because they didn't put their trust and their protection seeking in god so yeah, these human kings these unholy people are coming in and being a false sense of security to god's people just like we we do sometimes in our own lives right take false sense, a sense of security and worldly things and outside people that aren't good for us and we see at least death and destruction continuing on verse 17 Um, he will determine to come with the might of his entire kingdom and make an alliance with the king of the south again we're seeing another marriage where the king of the north is going to give his daughter a marriage to overthrow this kingdom and this was was actually came together um, fulfilled by Antiochus III giving his daughter Cleopatra to Ptolemy V of Egypt and this is not the Cleopatra we all think of All right, this is the first Cleopatra and so he, and when Antiochus did this, he hoped to gain a permanent influence and control in Egypt. But to, but to his disappointment, it fa- fell through. The plan didn't work because Cleopatra wasn't faithful to her Egyptian husband. And therefore, the marriage was a sham. And the marriage and the, the power that was supposed to come with it all, all fell through. Verse 18. Then he, the king of the north, um, after the failed marriage with his his daughter, will will turn his attention to the coastlands and will take many of them. So at this point, he's turning his efforts elsewhere. He's like, I can't get Egypt. Then, you know, he's going to try and find power and control somewhere else, like we all do, right? We can't get tr- control or power or influence in one area, and so we think, oh, we can just go somewhere else and get it instead. But wherever you go, there you are. If you have problems or issues, wherever you go, they follow you. And so this portion of scripture, verses 18 through 19, was fulfilled by Antiochus III, turning his attention to the areas of Asia Minor and of Greece. So he was helped by a couple other generals, um, especially including Hannibal, the famous general from Carthage. However, a Roman general came and defeated Antiochus in Greece. And so Antiochus was trying to come into power and try to put himself first, try to raise himself up. And he, he wanted to humiliate Greece, but instead, Greece and the Roman generals came and humiliated him. At that point, uh, he, he lost everything. He lost the entire kingdom, all his wealth, all his power, all his prestige, and he died shortly after that. And so after this defeat, um, he actually needed money so badly, he resorted to pillaging the Babylonian temple. And so local citizens came and killed him. That's how bad his life got. Because how much he tried again and again to to make his own way, to be prideful, to be um, seeking wealth and power over seeking God. 
he he lost everything and was killed in such an inglorious, such a humiliating way by local people that he was supposed to be in charge of and ruling over. So what happened next in verse 20? His successor will send out a tax collector to maintain the royal splendor. So this came to pass um, during Seleucus III, who was the eldest son of Antiochus III. At this point, uh, Seleucus III sought to tax his dominion, including the, the Holy Land, to increase the revenues and gain back wealth. And so he set aside, um, he set aside all his wealth and tried to to rage and um, uh, gather his people together to get all this wealth back for himself, pillaging the temple in Jerusalem and doing all these horrible things, attacks and and um, put himself again, gain himself back to power and influence through hurting others. But he ended up being assassinated, possibly, historically probably, by his brother, Antichus IV. So, again, we're seeing that within families even, that division, that greed, that, that power struggle is even within the families too. And we're seeing how God is letting all this come to pass and seeing people just, just left and right, you know, hurting themselves, destroying themselves and their, their lineages because they're not coming to God. So, verse 21, he'll be succeeded by a contemptible person who has not been given the honor of royalty. And this is what we just said, right? Because um, Celestis III was assassinated, his brother came to pass. But because he did not succeed to the throne legitimately, it's like it says, he was not given the honor of royalty. And he also has the other heir, the son of Celestis III. The son was imprisoned in Rome to try and give the brother, Antichus IV, all the power. And but except for the, except for this this murder, except for this um, plot he had to get his brother out of power, he actually instead of using um, t- terror and violence, he instead used flattery and smooth promises and you know and and working his way through people that way to gain influence and gain people's um, accolades and and their trust. So now we're seeing a shift again from a violent um, a, a physical war to a, an emotional, mental, spiritual war even, as words and influence and flattery are being used um, to gain control, right? Uh, verse, 23, uh, verse 22 through 27, another portion of scripture. Um, one of the things that really stood out as we're going through this, this portion of scripture here is I love how it says, but only for a time, right? It says how... Uh, in verse 24, um, you know, this kings are coming to power and there's armies coming through and everything. He will plot to overthrow, he will plot to overthrow fortresses. But verse 24 says, but only for a time. But that, that little glimmer of hope and all of this tragedy, all this heartache, all this violence and war being broken out, but only for a time. Because God is a just God. He's always sovereign and, and in control, Right. And so it's a great reminder for us in the midst of all of this, halfway through this, this whole chapter, that God's ways are always higher and human existence is fleeting in relation to his, God's holy, eternal power, right? And there's nothing we can do as humans to prevent or avoid God's appointed time. And so this portion of scripture here was fulfilled um, where Antiochus Epiphanes carried on the feud between the, di- the dynasties, between the North and the South. And he actually pretended to have an alliance and a friendship, again, using his, you know, his words of flattery to, to bring the people together. 
right? And but despite this, this influence he tried to build for himself and these battles and his efforts, nothing stood. And again, his army was still swept away. And verse 26 says, his army will be swept away and many will fall in battle. And that's what, that's what came to pass, right? Um, and, and the defeat of Antiochus Epiphanes at his second campaign against Egypt was important because it allowed Egypt to beat Antiochus with the help of Rome. And that was all that came to pass. And at the end of it, Rome actually came and took over that region. And Rome came over and, and ruled over Egypt in that, that region then after that. And again, we're seeing how um, uh, God's people are not are back and forth again. And how Antiochus IV was then um, killed by his own counselors. How they betrayed him. Again, because he that flattery, all that um, that influence, all those lies he tried using came back on himself. Just like us, right? That flattery, that um, those little like lies, little trying, you know, buttering up people you get sometimes. The gossip that comes back around, right? In the end, it all comes back onto ourselves. We, the way we, we betray others, really, we we're betraying ourselves in that. It all comes back to pass. Verse twenty-eight through uh, through thirty-five. Um, the king of north will return to his own country with great wealth. His heart will be set against the holy covenant, and goes through and says, um, he's facing his opposition then from the ships. Ships in the western coastlands will oppose him, and he will lose heart. Then he will turn back and vent his fury against the Holy Covenant. He will return and show favor to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. So during this time, he's, you know, he's trying to regroup, right? Came, you know, Antioch is trying to, um, <clears throat> Antioch Epiphanes is trying to regroup and trying to get his, again, trying to reclaim his power, trying to reclaim his wealth and his influence. And it got me thinking, and he's, he's facing opposition, right? And so how do we react when we face our own opposition in life? How do we react when we lose heart? What we thought was ours, what we thought we had, you know, control over, what we thought we had promised or, you know, coming to us, right? And it's taken away financially, in a relationship, in a job promotion. When it's taken away from us, how do we react to it? How do we react to those challenges? Are we pressing more into God or are we rejecting him and blaming him and taking it out on others? The right thing to do is press into God and say, okay, God, what's going on here? I need you. I need more of you. I need more of your wisdom, your insight, your your grace. But what happens here is <clears throat> Antioch came and rejected all that. He pulled away from God. He hurt other people. He hurt himself by going through all this, right? And so we all seem, you know, he's coming up bitter from all this. And what happens? He's been persecuting the Jewish people. He's persecuting those who keep the Holy Covenant, who keep God's word. And so he's coming through and forcing them to, to conform to Greek culture, to forsake the faith and forsake their traditions. And he sets up an image of Zeus at the temple altar instead. He demands sacrifice to Zeus and to this, uh, these idols he sets up. Um, he even desecrates the temple by having a pig sacrifice on the temple. You know, pigs were one of those um, forbidden animals with the, the hoofed, uh, the clothed feet. And yeah, so he's ultimate sacrificial, sacrificial disrespect and, uh, and ultimate dishonor for Jewish, for the Jewish culture and Jewish people. And at this point, God's people are becoming divided. 
because some are forsaking the covenant. Some are saying, you know what? It's easier just to follow through with, with the crowd, follow through with culture, you know, follow through with whatever the leaders are telling us to do. And yet those who are new there, who knew God made a stand and faced persecution because of it. And yet it says some of the wise will stumble so they may be refined, purified, and made spotless. <clears throat> and this time, um, you know, again, we're seeing God's coming through. He's going to promise to see fulfillment. He's going to promise to have his people be refined and purified through persecution, through what you're going through, through your own persecution. God wants to refine and purify you through this. And so we're coming through. Um, again, we're seeing how how bad Antioch was killing thousands, tens of thousands of Jewish people at the time, taking them, taking prisoners, selling them off as slaves. Um, and even was even written that uh, he has plundered, has he plundered the temple? He robbed it of approximately $1 billion by modern, um, modern accounts, modern uh, inflation and, and economic, you know, overviews. $1 billion worth of, of robbing and plundering for God's people. Again, we're seeing, though, the phrase at the appointed time in this portion repeated again. We read that in the previous portion and we're reading it again. So God's word is emphasizing this biblical truth when you read it over and over, right? So at the appointed time, because God, this is all going on. The Jewish people are divided. There's, there's violence. There's everything coming against them. And yet God still has his appointed time in place through all of this. <clears throat> Wrapping up here, this last portion, um, entitled the king who exalts himself in verse 36 we're reading about we're seeing a shift right a shift from now the kings of the north and the south from the ptolemies uh and the uh Seleucids. and this portion now is actually referring to the antichrist the final dictator of the world and this is again this is daniel being told about this back now at this point thousands of years before our time now right because the antichrist hasn't come yet cause the, you know, we're still here right? Revelation hasn't happened yet. We're still, you know, in those, those latter days. And so Daniel's being told all these things by the angel still. Um, and it's actually things that Jesus even spoke in reference to in Matthew 24. <clears throat> Matthew 24, he, he speaks about um, the false pro false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So Daniel had the first word about this and Jesus told his disciples and tells us ahead of time too. Again, God's word, it was these prophecies, prophecies were coming true hundreds of years before they, they happened in Daniel's time. So we can still trust and stand on God's word today. This prophetic scripture, whether we want to hear it or not, is God's word and God's truth that will come to pass. And so while this, you know, this is all important, right? We're, we're hearing so much about these two, uh, the kings of the north and kings of the south, were shifting here to see how, you know, Daniel's looking at different portions of time that the angel is showing him. And we're seeing how in this time, God's people are still suffering. Nothing is getting, nothing's, you know, thousands of years, thousands of years has passed. But there's still persecution against God's people, which is heartbreaking for God. <clears throat> and it says uh, how in this time, um, <clears throat> in verse 36 that he will be successful until the time of wrath is completed so the antichrist when he comes will do so much damage and will still do damage but he's on a short 
timeline, a short time frame, and only he's still in God's plan, right? Even as as horrible as these these things are throughout history and throughout the future, even here, God's plan is still God's plan, and God's purpose will be accomplished through all this. And so, no matter what, we're always pointing back to in Scripture the hope and the promise of God's justice and God's sovereignty. No matter who is the king, no matter who's president, right? For us now, like no matter who's a leader of the world, like our king is Jesus. Our king is our king, no matter what other kings or rulers or presidents or dictators or whoever else is in power in this earthly realm, we have a heavenly realm, a heavenly king we serve. Amen. We can trust in and and rest in his power and his truth and his promises. So as we close out here again, um, verse 37, speaking more about this antichrist to come, right? He's religiously rebellious, culturally rebellious. He's narcissistic. He has no no power uh, or no authority, no respect for anybody else but himself. He's exalting himself above everybody else and taking hold of a power of military might and use of great riches to, to amass himself power and wealth and influence among others. And yet it says in verse 40, at the time of the end of the king, at the time of the end. So we're, we're seeing how um, the kings are come together and nations are coming together and this last, these final days against the Antichrist. It's a battle around the Holy Land. It says, you know, it says in verse 41, he will also invade the beautiful land. That's the Holy Land. That's Jerusalem, right? God's land. God's, his land for his people. So this battle is going to come to pass, you know, prophetically speaking. <clears throat> and so right now, we, you know, it's, it's not going to, um, because of cultural change and everything else, you know, we're, Right now, we, we're not precisely be able to identify exactly the, the people or exactly the lands or countries. So much has happened since then. But the general idea, the general prophetic vision is still here. At the end of the world, end of this Antichrist is coming, but marked by great conflict with the world's armies coming together and gathering together in the promised land to do one huge final battle. But it says, yeah, he will come to his end and no one will help him. So in the end, there's still no hope for the Antichrist, for any of his followers, anyone who's who's shifting and falling away from God. Because in the end, God is still in control. And the truth is, all the power, all the wealth, all the pride of the Antichrist or any man, before or after, nothing can be done that can come against God. And when we put ourselves in God's hands, we're safe. Now, what's going on around us? We still have God to protect us. <clears throat> Amen. All right, so there's a lot coming at you today. It's been a huge history lesson, huge prophetic like um, dissection of all of this. So application points, application question. What's, how do we take all of the scripture, all this prophetic word and apply it to our lives? One simple thing today. How does everything we talk about today make you feel? I ask, ask myself the same question, you know, as we're going through reading all this, hearing all this prophetic um, prophetic notes and, and historical context. How's everything we talked about today, the historical backgrounds, the wars, the, um, the prophetic truths, the dangerous rulers, even the Antichrist and the end times, how does it make you feel? I want to challenge you today, encourage you today to bring those feelings to God in prayer, praying for the church, the capital C church, praying for the world. Praying for the Holy Land, 
if right now it's which is which is covered and amassed and and fighting and wars and and dangerous in the Middle East, right? So how's everything we talked about today make you feel? Give it to God. Bring your your concerns, your worries, your anxieties, your fear, your confusion, your uncertainty, your doubt, whatever you're feeling about all this. Give it to God today, and let Him speak into it. Let Him guide you and comfort you and and just let his his grace and his love envelop you to to rest in his and rest in his word rest in his truth and his promises know that he has you no matter what you're feeling today whether it's this situation or another situation even you're dealing with today bring your concerns to god and let him just comfort you and let him just show you his way Jesus is the way, the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Let's pray out. God, I thank you. I thank you that we can trust in your word. God, in a time, in a culture, in a society, in a in a, a season, God, when there's so much going on, there's so much lies, and there's so much deception, and there's so much influence that's being um, taken for, for selfish reasons, God, there's so much narcissism. There's so much desire, God, to see things of the world prosper over you, God. I thank you that we can trust and rest in you and your word and your promises, God. Lord, thank you that nothing has come to pass and nothing will come to pass that will overtake you. God, thank you that you are sovereign over everything. So God, right now we come to you and just give you what we're feeling. The doubts, the insecurities, the fears, the anxieties, the confusion. God, whatever we're feeling this morning, whether it's whether it's these these scriptures and these prophecies giving us hard feelings, God, whether it's a situation we're dealing with, God, in our family, it's giving us a hard feeling. Whether it's a financial situation or whether a, a job situation, God, that's giving us hard feelings. But I pray just let us have the peace as we bring these feelings to you, God, to know that you are in control, that you are sovereign, we can trust you. God, thank you that we don't have to bear these these burdens alone. We can give them to you. Pray in this time, Lord, help us as we continue our day to to keep resting in you, to keep coming back to your word and resting on the firm foundation of your truth, Jesus. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I know it was a long one today. Thank you all for bearing with me. It's a long, long, a lot to go through. So thank you so much. Have an amazing start to your week, an amazing last week of your Daniel fast. Keep pressing into God's word and we'll see you soon.